Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting editing this episode, and I greatly appreciate it. You can learn more about him and his work at IdealVideoStrategies.com. And now for some fun announcements. I have a lot going on that I need to tell you about. First off, earlier this week, I had the honor of being featured on Attitude Magazine's webinar series. I talked about the wall of awful and how to help our kids get past it. Check out the link in the show notes. Also, coming up this Tuesday, August 13th, you can join Eric Tivers and I as we do our monthly Q&A for his ADHD Rewired podcast. And the Q&A doesn't work without some cues. So bring your questions and go to ADHDrewired.com events to register for next week's Q&A. And speaking of registering for upcoming events, I will be a part of the Executive Function Online Summit, which runs from Friday, August 23rd through Sunday, August 25th. In addition to myself, you'll hear from experts like Michael Delman of Beyond Booksmart, Dana Abraham of Calm the Chaos, and Peter Shankman of the Faster Than Normal podcast. The links for both of those events are in the show notes. And of course, don't forget to throw me that five-star rating and review in iTunes. I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, my buddy Adam Wilson is back on the pod. Adam is the founder of Calm Passion, a nonprofit that creates sensory sensitive spaces to help those with sensory needs participate in events like comic book conventions and movie showings where they might otherwise become too overwhelmed. He also runs ComerCon, an entire pop culture convention that Adam developed for kids, adults, and families with sensory needs. In today's episode, Adam and I talk about the importance of having a consistent approach to how we handle our kids, the power of reframing our struggles, navigating the isolation of raising a child with special needs, adding our kids onto their support team, and going out to dinner to get on the same page as our partner. All right, let's get rolling. Welcome back. It's good to be back. So we were sort of talking offline about the importance of self-care when you're a parent of a kid with special needs, whether it's ADHD, autism, bipolar disorder, whatever it happens to be. So let's start there. What what have you learned? Oh, goodness. Well, we're going to eat up the whole podcast with this. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, whether you're parenting a neurotypical kid or a kid with any kind of intellectual needs, um, you need to be really mindful that consistency is important and presenting a consistent you know, experience to you for the kid is, is really, can be really important to them. They can get really fragile really fast. If you kind of don't, you know, if you aren't consistent with your approach and it's happened to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a bad morning and I went into Logan is my son. I went into Logan's room and he was just doing his typical thing. 
but I was worried about time. I hadn't given him the precursor that I usually do. Hey, 15 minutes from now, we gotta, we gotta be out the door and then I'll go back. Hey, five minutes left, please get your stuff ready. He has a tablet that he brings with him everywhere and his bag of stuff. He's got a bag full of everything from Legos to Spider-Man to whatever, whatever he may need. It's, it's sort of his security blanket. So it's real important that he has enough time to get what he needs for that day in there before we leave. And we, we didn't have to leave that minute, but my anxiety was kicking up and I was overtired, overstressed, had a lot, a lot of stuff going on that I wasn't managing well. And he, like, I didn't even change the tone of my voice from normal or anything. He turned around and looked at me and could see my furrowed brow and just kind of the look in my eyes and it set him off. And he was like, why do we have to go to this dumb thing? What are we doing? That's, you know, on and on and on. Start a little mini meltdown for him. And so what started out as me just being a little stressed about time turned into I had to manage that. And we were almost late to the thing because I didn't do a good job coming into the room. One thing that I've learned about that sort of situation, which kind of feeds into this idea of self-care, is that I have to let that stuff go. Like I can't, I can't carry that with me for the rest of the day. I've got to just own it and then, you know, move on and just continue on with the day. And I think without really being mindful of taking care of yourself, that can't happen. Like those things, when I, when he was younger, when I was, you know, less experienced at this parenting thing in general, I didn't manage that as well. And I would let it kind of dwell and I would just dwell on it and it would just, you know, spin through my mind. So I've had to come up with a lot of strategies to kind of help me with that. First one is, is just, you know, kind of lead. I do this with him anyway. I try to lead with kindness whenever I can, even if there's a situation where he hasn't, you know, followed through on his responsibility in that moment, I've got to be kind first. Then I can give him a little bit of, okay, well, there, here's kind of where we didn't meet the action that we were supposed to. And then I go back to kindness, but I recognize how great you've been doing at getting ready on time at, man, I haven't had to help you with the shower in two weeks. You've done the shampooing properly. You've brushed your teeth properly. And just kind of, you know, it's, it's the uh, kindness sandwich, right? <laughs> a little bit of kindness. Then you, you know, you got to reinforce the things that you need to reinforce and then a little more kindness. And I think, especially for Logan, it's more palatable that way. That's got me. I'm kind of, I've got a few different thoughts from that. One is, I broke yesterday. I just, I, I broke. I can't pretend I didn't. And I'm sharing this on purpose because I think it's important that my audience hears it, that even the experts, right? Even the guy who has the podcast and runs the coaching groups and works with people all the time on this stuff, even we have our limits. And for me, there's just so much going on at my house right now. We um, are in the middle of getting a new fridge. So we had like a contractor in Monday of last week, kind of tearing stuff apart we've also my wife had acl surgery last tuesday so that's a whole level of things being weird and different and me having to take on her responsibilities as well as my own um, and also having to navigate now that she's a little bit stronger and it's been about a week having to recognize that i have to let her do stuff again and sort of that immediate transition in the other direction which is also challenging for someone with ADHD. Like, oh, now I have to change the boundaries. I'm really bad when boundaries change. I want to know what the boundary is, and then that's the boundary. 
And in addition to that, we are in summer vacation and the boys have had too many transitions. Like we a week off and then camp and then another week off and then camp and then a different camp. We're going to do summer differently next year because it's just been too many transitions for them. So they're more easily upset and more easily frustrated. And we're seeing that on the back end with them going to bed later and them having trouble going to sleep and more likely to be upset at bedtime. And that translates to me getting less sleep because I'm spending more time helping them get to sleep. And then I'm all wound up from that experience if it's a challenging night. And so I'm up later because I am wound up from helping them wind down. And so yesterday morning, I broke. I just didn't have any space left. And some of it is this fridge transition means that we are not shopping the way we used to. We don't have as much stuff in the house. And I was in this spot where lunch needed one more thing, and I couldn't figure out what that one more thing should be. I had massive decision fatigue, and I'm worried about my kids struggling with this transition because there's also the transition from elementary school to middle school that's coming up, and I know a little too much about school resistance to not kind of panic about that sometimes. I mean, the other side of ignorance is bliss. It's like knowledge is a curse for me at the moment. Probably... School resistance is not where we're heading, but I worry about it given that we're having some camp struggles. And yeah, I just, I was done. Lashed out on my wife a little bit, cried in front of my kids a little bit. Like it was, and that's not how I roll. Like I don't break. It's at least not in front of people. I, sometimes I break off in a corner by myself somewhere, but, and that is totally some, there's some toxic masculinity hiding in there and an inability to be vulnerable, which I preach against, but I'll admit that I can be vulnerable. It's just a controlled tactical vulnerability more than like, no, I'm a blibbering mess. I was pretty close to being a blibbering mess yesterday morning. Better now, (laughs) bounce back. But that letting go of it, like you mentioned, I really struggled with that. It was really hard for me to let go of the fact that I broke because I felt guilty about it. I felt like, man, are they not going to trust me anymore to sort of steer this ship? Because part of where I feel like I get the credentials to steer the ship is that I tend to hold it together. But no, all that stuff was fine. But what I needed was some quality time with my family that I didn't get because it was like coaching groups, clients, coaching groups, sort of work stuff in the middle of that. And eventually we got to watch a Eureka. It was after six o'clock. We don't usually do screens after that. But Eureka is the TV show we watch as a family right now. And I was like, I need this. (laughs) So we're going to watch Eureka and then we'll go to bed. And I also made it really clear to my kids, I'm going to bed at nine o'clock. Like, if you have trouble going to sleep, I, then come get me if you have to, but I need to sleep. And, and so that was useful too. Went fairly well. That's kind of where my head went. And then a couple other thoughts. One is, this is just a thing that's been in my mind recently, because having kids that are getting a little upset about stuff and a wife who's laid up on the couch with ACL surgery is frustrating when you're the caretaker. And I know you're in a similar position. One of the things that has been useful for me to remind myself is that as frustrating as stuff is for me, it is worse for them. So if my kid is experiencing anxiety and getting upset about stuff that seems stupid, that's the expression of a lot of other stuff. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the background for them that they're not sharing with me. And that is worse for them because their breaking point is when they don't want to eat dinner or whatever. And my wife just went through surgery. So me cooking dinner and feeling like, oh, I don't want to do it or whatever, it's worse for her because she would rather be contributing in the way that she typically contributes, making the dinner that she would typically be making, not stuck on the couch, not in pain. So as caretaker, as frustrating as stuff is for us, often 
it's worse for the other person. And, and I find that when I can take that perspective, it helps me be more compassionate and bring more patients to the table. Does that make sense? Completely. Um, one thing I do that that's, um, I appreciate you sharing that because I know it's not always easy to, to talk about our vulnerabilities for sure. I like the way that you parse it out though, when you say that you broke, because for me, I used to, when I felt that way, I used to call it not a break, but a breakdown automatically gives a negative connotation to it. One thing that I try to remember when I have a break like that is that, you know, that word has several different connotations and meanings. A break means, yeah, I, I got a crack, you know, I got a little bit of broken, but at the same time, it can be your body and your mind telling you, hey, you need to take a break right now. You need, I'm forcing you to take a break. And it can also mean like in your car, like, hey, you got to pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe you're running a little bit roughshod. So I, I try to always, I don't use the term breakdown anymore. When it happens to me, I use break. I'm weird about words. So just even that, my brain going, hey, this homophones for this word. And let's, you know, let's look at it in different ways. It, it helps me get through it. Little mind game with myself. I shared that story with my groups yesterday, with my coaching groups. And one of the things that I said in one of the groups was that and I was, I was like, I'm just in a dip right now. Like, that's all. I'm just in a dip. And a couple people really liked that. Like there, there's sort of a comment feed that we use in the group. So we sort of video chat and then people type comments in the chat, almost like the peanut gallery, but they're kind of talking to each other, commenting on what's being said, that kind of stuff. It allows for a different level of interaction. And, uh, and I got a couple of comments about how they liked that concept of the dip. That's how I've been thinking about hard times for a while now. It's like, it's like a wave. Like sometimes you're riding the crest of the wave and sometimes you're in the trough. You go down into that dip and you come back out again at some point and you're on top of the wave and all of that is fine. That's how it's supposed to go. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm also glad you brought up like how your group works because part of self-care for me is reaching out and interacting with other parents that are in a similar, similar situation to myself. I'm always kind of looked for special needs parenting groups, and I'm in a couple of different kind of autism-centric things like that right now. You know, and I, I'm definitely going to be looking towards seeing if there's some of the stuff that you do that I can access moving forward as well, because we, we have a fresh, you know, ADHD diagnosis for Logan um, as well. And so there's, I got to, I have to start to consider as part of my approach, how that part of it fits in. I, I've been really good with the autism part and the anxiety. He also has a, a fairly fresh anxiety diagnosis, but we've been dealing with that. That's, that's something that really manifests itself in his everyday existence. So I feel like I've done a, a good job with those things. And I, I kind of feel like maybe I've been doing a good job with some of the strategies I've used there that have been helpful for, you know, is the attention deficit side of it. And I've to try to manage that. But as, you know, as a parent, there's always ways you can improve as well. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of going to be looking for some support in that area as well, moving forward. And that, that can be a really important, it, it seems like, okay, well, I'm not with my kid right now. And I'm going to go talk to a group of parents that they're dealing with their kids and we're just going to, I'm going to stay in the same mindset. Right. But it's, it's really helpful to hear other people express the joy, the frustration, the strategies, the techniques, all that stuff that they're finding with their kids. And to hear just that you're not alone because 
dealing with needs kids can be a very isolating experience. When we, when he was really young with it and we had just got his first diagnosis, we really pulled back from everybody because we felt like it was an us against the world sort of situation. And I think it's, it's really, you have to be really careful about that. You have to be careful about pulling away, you know, definitely if there's people that don't understand what you're going through and you've tried to explain it and they just don't get it, then, you know, it's time to give them less attention, right? (laughs) It's time to pull back from those people. I'm not saying you have to cut them out of your life, but you really need to focus on maintaining enriching relationships with people. This is all part of self-care that I'm talking about, but not isolating because, you know, it, as great as, you know, there's, there's benefits to that. But at the same time, you have to be mindful that regardless of where your kid is, you know, neurotypical, neurodiverse, whatever, um, you're teaching them how to access the world. And if they see you in times of stress and strife, just pulling back from everybody, that's what they're going to learn to do. And that's what they're going to think is an effective strategy to protect themselves when they're feeling vulnerable or they're having a tough time. And I don't want that for Logan. And I, I don't think most parents probably don't want that for their kids either. You know, it's, it's, there's just something about the human condition about us wanting to, you know, be around other people. And it, that's very important, you know, for our growing, uh, for maturity, you know, just learning to properly interact with people. So I think it's, it's really incumbent upon us to make sure that we don't do too much of that and that we interact with people in a healthy way um, so that we model that for our kids. I completely agree because it can be very isolating. Even with my guys hitting some hiccups right now and feeling a little frustrated and stuff, they don't want to hang out with people as much. We do movies in the backyard at my house a lot and they're like one family dad, that's it. And some of that is because on July 4th, I went overboard not realizing that that was how it was going to wind up landing. But but uh, we have like an annual July 4th party started with like the Boston friends because we were in Shrewsbury and invited the people who lived like an hour away because that was the friend group. But now we've anchored ourselves in Shrewsbury with a group of friends too. So all of a sudden, there's like 30 people at our house between kids and adults and, and it was just too many people. And my wife is very, too many people, too many people. But I'm an extrovert, and I'm like, there, there's no such thing as too many people. That isn't true. But my kids were like, too many people. And so some of our struggles are because that party, although it went okay, the boys struggled with it. Um, and so I just am not allowed to have a whole bunch of people over anymore, which is hard for me because that I get a lot of energy out of that. I get a lot of meaning out of that. But, oh, well, I live with three people who can't hack having 30 people at our house for a day. So it's going to have to be like... 12 at the most or something. But that need to turn outward and connect to people is really huge. It's important. And and at the moment, my kids are like, we only want to hang out with this one family. <laughs> That's it. And I had to talk to them and say like, look, I need to hang out with people. And I need that as for my own self-care. So y'all are going to have to take a hit because that family is not around right now. <laughs> so we're going to invite some other people over And that's where I'm going to get to recharge so that I can show up for you guys later. My stuff matters too. I just, I'm not in a position right now to be able to put my stuff aside and say, all right, cool. Then we won't, we won't have some social time because I need the recharging and that's part of how I do it. And then you're just going to have to navigate that a little. I mean, we're, we're lucky in the fact that since I kind of realized that we were pulling back from everybody and, and started to work on 
kind of adjusting that situation, we have found that, you know, we gravitate towards people that are really, you know, they really understand what Logan's going through and they're cognizant of what we need and that like you're talking about, we need to, I'm an introvert by nature, but I'm a social extrovert, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I can be the quiet guy in the corner with a book and be perfectly happy, comic book, likely, just hit a floppy and go. Um, but I can also be the life of the party. I mean, you've been around me, around groups of people. Like I, I just am, I'm a talker and I can talk to anybody about anything. And, I'm, and that's good for me because it pushes me out of that corner. You know, I do it, I do it because it's getting out of my comfort zone. Um, and I get, you know, I get less and less anxious about it as I do it more. But we've luckily, we've found groups of people that when we do have go to like a big barbecue or something, they're all perfectly fine. Like, is it okay if Logan just hangs out as he needs to in this side bedroom and with his tablet and Wi-Fi? And he will come out at his own, you know, when he feels like he can do it. Uh, luckily, a lot of my friends too, they have either small children or pets, which are two of Logan's favorite things in the entire world. So he'll come out, he'll hang out with the little kids for a bit and then he'll go back in. He'll come out and play with the dogs. And as we've done that, he can spend more and more time in the larger group because he feels like he has, you know, some measure of control over that. One of the things that I've really found as he gets older and it's, it can be difficult to navigate. Um, luckily, I have a lot of nieces and nephews and I've had to do some legitimate caretaking for some of them at times. So I've kind of seen the transitions from, you know, adolescence into preteen into teen kind of the typical behaviors that go along with that and the kind of the experience. So I'm able to better understand what of this is just 16 year old hormones and what of this is anxiety kicking in. But he's, you know, we've been, we've done really well with that. He, he has a real sense of personal justice now that he, he didn't really express before. How so? Well, we've, it manifested in his school situation um, in the last year where the district that we're in they got rid of the all program in high school. And so he was relegated to stay in the middle school classroom, you know, the, the pullout, the, the pullout room. He wasn't in a, in a, an inclusion setting in the school. And he had the same teacher for over five years straight. Wow. And yes, that's the appropriate expression, including, you know, extended year program in the summertime. So almost year round. And she was still treating him like he was an incoming sixth grader when he's going, you know, getting ready to go into 10th grade and he's, you know, 15 going on 16 very soon at the beginning of this last school year. And he came home one day and he was angry and he said more words in one time than I've ever heard in his entire life. Probably a week's worth of speaking saying, it's not fair. Why do I have to keep going there? I don't, you know, a lot of other things, um, bordering on um, swearing, but not swearing, just really, and, and clenched fists and just, and that's the first time I realized that I'm like, this kid has a, he has a very, I, I, because he never said anything before, he was holding it all in. And he finally, he's getting better and better at speaking. So more and more words are coming out. That's great. Yeah, it and that's part of it. But I mean, I was, I was just, he just started sobbing at the end of that. That's not great. He'd been holding it in for so long. And I said, okay, look, that's it. This is not, this is not team mom and dad anymore taking care of what's good for you at school. This is all of us. You're in, you're in with the team now and we're going to really make sure that you get what you need, including your perspective, not just from our perspective. You know, we were feeling, we were not happy with what was going on and we were trying to work the system as best we could to get it resolved. 
but that really just sent it to the next level because we realized how much of that he was holding in all the time. So he got I got him calmed down. It took about a half an hour. And I'm like, okay, look, we don't usually do this, but you can lay down and rest with your tablet. Usually if he needs a nap, it's just nap, no, no electronics, no nothing like that. Concentrate on sleeping if you need to sleep. And I'm like, you can watch your tablet until you fall asleep, you know, and, and I will check on you later, but you can rest as long as you need to. Cause I know that's really hard. Puts you through a lot when you're having trouble breathing and you're sobbing and you know, a 16 year old meltdown. I mean, kind of a seven year old meltdown for him at 16. And then I, I exited the room and went downstairs, his bedroom's upstairs. And I started to do a little jig when I got downstairs. Cause I'm like, he's never talked that much in his entire life. He expressed himself and he's thada. And then <laughs> right back to, okay, we need to foster this sense of personal responsibility and justice that he's now expressing that he's probably has had for a while. He's always been really big on protecting other kids, less so about making sure he was okay. And he gets that from me. Like I'm a caretaker and I, you know, my default mode is to not take care of myself is to is to empty my bucket for everybody else i'm getting a lot better at that you know and that's when i get into into trouble just with everything because if i'm not if i don't have a clear head if i'm not well rested you know if i let myself go without eating all day if i don't hydrate you know all these things if i don't get some exercise regularly if i start to push those things aside because i have to help somebody else then you know i'm not doing myself any good and I'm not, I'm doing a disservice to Logan because he needs me to be at my best if possible. So I guess we'll keep coming back to self-care. So right back into self-care again. Yeah. Even bringing Logan on board, like making him part of the team, that's self-care for you. And initially it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't feel like it because everything gets way more complicated and way harder when the kid starts to get a say in what's going on for them, because there's one more variable, if nothing else. And also, because you kind of, you start to think that maybe you were wrong about some stuff or find out that you actually were wrong about some stuff based on the feedback you get from them. But in the long run, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're empowering them. And there's fewer decisions for you to make. And there's fewer variables for you to pay attention to when you are making those decisions. So the decisions become easier because your kid's like, nah, this is a bad call. My kids, as we were planning the summer, summer camp stuff, were like, this camp stinks and we don't want to do it. And I was like, yeah, but you need to get some exercise. So we're going to do that one. And that camp didn't go so well that week. Next summer, I'm just going to listen to them. Whatever camps they say are stupid, we're not doing those camps. And we'll figure something else out. And if it means that they're home, that's okay. Honestly, I think the summer would have gone better if they were just home. And I was like, here's the stuff you're doing this week. Like, welcome to Camp Dad. You're going to solve this problem because I know that it's going to give you some skills or whatever. But this is what you have to do for, the, for this week. So bringing them on board is a good call. And my kids are on board for a lot of stuff. If we have to meet with a teacher, they're there and they're adding their input. Unless that teacher is not someone they should be meeting with, which sometimes happens. But that ha luckily hasn't happened for a while. But yeah, I, I, that, that's definitely an element of self-care is bringing the kid on board. Yeah, I mean, we ran into quite a bit of that when we're going through this process of getting him a new placement in that we, when we had meetings with superintendent, the special education director, um, whatever her title is this month, I don't, they change them all the time, student, student services director or something, they're always changing names of things, you, you're from that world, so you know, he was there, 
And what I found, well, what I was very mindful of is that we didn't want to exhibit any behavior to him. Again, we, he's learning from us how to deal with the world. So we didn't want to exhibit any behavior that, so he would learn, you know, a not so nice or kind way to deal with things. And it really kept me in that space. You know, I, I allowed uh, my wife to kind of be bad cop and I was good cop. And whenever things got a little too heated, I, without squelching her voice, which is not what I was, my intent was, but at times I would just say, you know, maybe it's time to take everybody at the table, just take a breath. Let's remember that a car has a big windshield and a tiny little rear view mirror because we're supposed to kind of focus on moving forward and not look too much at what's happened in the past that we can't change. You know, just little things like that to kind of keep everybody on an even keel. And so when it was time in those meetings to kind of say, okay, we're, we're at the end of the road with where you're trying to point us at this point and you can't provide what Logan needs. Well, then I don't mean to say that I started yelling at anybody, but when I started to get a little more, you know, animated and serious about what we were talking about, they responded well to that because they knew that I'd been kind of the calm voice. And if we're getting to the point where I'm kind of amping up, then it's time to maybe take a little more seriously what we're expressing as a group. And the nice thing for, you know, I'm very, blessed and lucky that years ago, Lynn and I kind of sat down, like went out to dinner specifically to sit down and say, Hey, we got to we got to team up here. We got to with regards to Logan particularly, but I mean, as a marriage too, it's nice to have those conversations from time to time, part of self-care. There you go. Right back to it again. But we have to, you know, find consensus for the two of us before we go into any situation where we're trying to get something that we need. That really helped when we brought Logan on board because the two of us are kind of a unit. Like we each have our own individual thoughts about how things are supposed to go and individual ways of doing things. Uh, my wife's a social worker, so she's got those skills. I'm a caretaker, so I'm coming from kindness and I'm like, I want to fix everything. But at the same time, she's a mama bear. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, when, it, when she feels there's an injustice happening, she responds to it. But I think it was really vital for us to get on the same page. That's a topic that comes up all the time in my work with families who are affected by ADHD. One of the services that I offer, and it's, it's really a benefit of a service that I offer, but I'm starting to offer it as a service because it has helped so many people and, and helped so many families move forward, is that I can help bridge the gap between the partner that is ready to engage with ADHD and the partner that is not there yet. Because one of the services that I offer is that I will meet with the whole family, either video chat or I do home visits sometimes. And I just teach about ADHD. I'm happy to have anybody there who is part of your family that needs to know about it, up to and including friends. And then I just take an hour or two and I go through ADHD. And during that time, I invite people to ask questions and make connections because it's about them. It's not just about ADHD. And what happens is, as I talk about ADHD, people are like, how do you know so much about our family? And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> you have ADHD. I know stuff about ADHD. And I get people and that kind of stuff. 
but they keep seeing that I already know all that stuff. Like, oh, of course that happened to you. Like, that's a thing. That's every ADHD family struggles with getting to places on time or, or struggles with sort of the arguing back and forth or the kids shutting down or whatever. And what happens is everybody gets the same information at the same time. And I now mention in the course of the I Can Teach You About ADHD that I can also bring the resistant parent on board. Not perfectly. I'm not a magic worker, but I can get them more on board than they've been by a decent margin. One of the reasons for that is that typically it's the dad that is not looking to engage, either because he just can't because he's at work all the time and that's what he's focused on and mom's more of the caretaker, which is not uncommon, or because he's the dad and weakness is not a thing for people, for men of a certain generation, or because he's the one that's got the ADHD and he's seeing his own vulnerabilities and challenges. And that's not comfortable. Those are kind of the top three reasons most of the time. And I happen to be a dude. So when I roll in and I'm dealing with ADHD head on and being vulnerable and being a dude, I can bridge some of that gap because I'm sort of giving dad permission to see things in a new light. Um, And also there's the level of like, it's not uncommon for men to just hear information better from other men. I'm sure I fall into that trap too. But the importance of being on the same page as a couple is, is that's such a huge component of self-care. And I'm so excited to hear that you guys just go out to dinner sometimes. That's a great plan. The nice thing about it too, is that um, as we come into these types of challenges, I, from my side, generally appreciate that we are kind of a unit, but also it turns into conversations in the car. And it's something that is important enough that you have to engage in. So nobody's on their cell phone, turn the radio out. We don't listen to the radio much in the car anyway, but turn all that stuff off. And sometimes Logan will slip one of his headphones off in the car and be listening to what we're talking about, forces us to keep it civil. But it turns into couple time. You know, we're working through this, but we're also spending time together doing something that we know needs to be done. But there's a lot of um, also, you know, you fit in while you're talking about this. Oh, well, this happened this week, which kind of relates to what we're talking about. And so if you can turn, you know, those sort of important hard conversations into just part of a bigger dialogue that you're having, that can be really good for you as a couple as well. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I guess just for closing points, I mean, I think it's always good to be mindful of not just self-care, I mean, finding things that enrich you and trying to find ways too to get some me time, that can be really difficult, uh, especially I'm coming from the perspective of being uh, like the main caretaker. So it can be hard for me to justify personal time because I'm like, I've got a thousand things to do, <laughs> you know, at all times. And I also, um, you know, I run a nonprofit. So when I'm not doing stuff with Logan, I can fill time with a with hundred things to do. I think it's really essential for me to kind of schedule and plan that personal time uh, instead of just going, well, when I get a minute, I'll never get a minute if I do it that way. So I think it's really essential to try to plan those out and to try to do some recurring things. Like I, once or twice a month, I'll play Dungeons and Dragons with some friends and some relatives. And um, sometimes it frustrates me because it's, it's four or five hours of my day gone. Early on, I had to force myself to do it. But now I've realized that I disengage from everything else better when I do it. 
And so it becomes really nice, enriching personal time as I'm destroying dragons and looting bodies and you know all that sort of Dungeons and Dragons type of stuff. You know, it wouldn't seem that way that that would be de-stress you, but it does. For me, it does. And also, it's been important for me to really find good, enriching friendships. And I think that's really, for self-care, that can be the most important thing that you do, is to find friends who, who are aware of what you're going through. They're with you no matter what happens. You can trust them and they can trust you. And also, you know, in groups as well, like other families, not just for yourself, but so that you and your partner can have a place to go when you're really overwhelmed and have people will understand and not try to give you a bunch of advice. They're just willing to kind of listen to where you're at. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.